This program is brought to you by Israel Restoration Ministries. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051. That's 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here's our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Just like the father of the prodigal son who probably heard that his wayward son had wasted all the inheritance that were given to him on wild living and paying prostitutes. But the father of the prodigal son was gracious and he just waited with a longing heart, a praying heart. He was hoping his son would straighten himself out. The father of the prodigal son didn't say, well, that's it, that's gone long enough. I'm gonna go out and drag my son home where he belongs. The father, he didn't do that because he knew that that would not have accomplished what needed to happen, which was a change of heart in the prodigal son. Only time and the prodigal son alone could bring about that change of heart. And we can imagine how during this long time that the landowner was far away, the landowner hoped, the the caretakers did, I hope they just straighten themselves out. But the landowner now sends servants to the caretakers in verse 34, when the time of the fruit drew near, He sent his servants to the husbandmen that they might receive the fruits of it. We can imagine the sending off time of the landowner as he told them that, look, you're representing me, and you go, and I've heard some stories, but hopefully things will be different when you get there. But those caretakers, when when the servants arrived, they made a bad decision, very bad decision. Verse 35, verse 35, the husbandman took his servants, beat one, killed another, stoned another. We can imagine the arrival of those servants that, that were sent by the landowner. Maybe they came and they said, look, what are you doing? We're coming to help you. We're, we're coming to help you gather up the fruits. But they were abused, they were hurt, they were killed. And that was the first wave of servants that were sent. And those represent the prophets in the Old Testament that God sent to Israel. Like the prophet Jeremiah, who was beat twice. Jeremiah 20, verse two. Jeremiah 20, verse two, then Pasher smote Jeremiah the prophet, put him in the stocks, which were in the high gate of Benjamin. 
Jeremiah 37, 15, Jeremiah 37, verse 15. Wherefore the princes were wroth with Jeremiah and smote him, put him in the prison in the house of Jonathan the scribe. Like the prophet Isaiah, who they killed, like the prophet Zechariah, who they stoned in the temple. And this is what the servants who, who are sent by God can expect, this kind of treatment. For 2 Timothy 3.12, 2 Timothy 3.12, yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. So the landowner, he shows restraint, incredible restraint. He shows a patience because he didn't come after the report came back to destroy the caretakers. All the while he holds on, the landowner holds on to his, his hope. He waits for the caretakers come to themselves and say to themselves, what have we done? What are we doing? We need to stop. We need to ask forgiveness, beg for mercy, and start to, maybe he'll let us keep doing our job. The landowner now makes his next move, which is verse 36. Verse 36, again, he sent other servants more than the first. The word more than the first includes servants like King Hezekiah, who tried to bring the Jewish people back to keeping the Passover. They just laughed at him. In 2 Chronicles 30, verse one, 2 Chronicles 30, verse one, Hezekiah sent to all Israel and Judah and wrote letters all to Ephraim and Manasseh that they should come to the house of the Lord of Jerusalem to keep the Passover unto the Lord God of Israel. 2 Chronicles 30, verse nine, verse nine, 2 Chronicles 30, verse nine. He said, for if you turn again unto the Lord, your brethren and your children shall find come passion before them that lead them captive. So they shall come again unto this land, for the Lord your God is gracious and merciful and will not turn away his face from you if you return unto him. So the post passed from city to city through the country of Ephraim and Manasseh, even unto Zebulun, but they laughed them to scorn and mocked them. They laughed at him, they made fun of him. And that word again in verse 36 shows the patience of God by sending more messengers to show Israel their sins. And you can feel the frustration of God in 2 Chronicles 36, 15, 2 Chronicles 36, 15, and the Lord God of their fathers sent to them by his messengers, rising up betimes, sending them, because he had compassion on his people and on his dwelling place. But they mocked the messengers of God, despised his words, misused his prophets until the wrath of the Lord arose against his people till there was no remedy. And you can feel the same frustration in Jesus Christ as he stands and, and he cries over Jerusalem in Matthew 23, 37, Matthew 23, 37. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets, stonest them which are sent unto thee. How often would I have gathered thy children as a, together, even as a hen gathereth her chickens under her wings? You would not. Behold, your house is left unto you desolate. They had really reached the point of no return, of no solution. Described in Proverbs 29.1, Proverbs 29.1, he that being often reproved, hardeneth his necks, shall suddenly be destroyed, and that without remedy, no solution. So just imagine how Jesus, as God the Son, felt as he was going on telling this history. It's about him. And he says the words in verse 37, verse 37, but last of all, he sent unto them his son. I mean, there he is standing before them. He's standing in front of the unfaithful, violent caretakers in the history. And as he's telling them that last of all, he sent unto them his son, he's thinking, that's me. 
He is that sent son. And he says these words in verse 37, last of all, and as the words come out of his mouth, he's thinking to himself, I started the last parable, the parable before this one, with what think ye, and I started this parable with the word hear, and he's saying to himself, are they thinking? Are they hearing? Do they realize that I am that son that has been sent to them? Are they hearing when I said, last of all, he sent unto them his son? Because when he says that in verse 37, last of all, he sent unto him his son, that meant, Acts 4.12, Acts 4.12, neither is there salvation in any other. There's none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. There's no other salvation, there's no other option. There's no other way to be saved from the judgment of hell other than Jesus Christ, God's son. Jesus Christ is the last of all salvation. There's no other name that God has given to man for man to be rescued from a state of eternal torment from his sins than the name of Jesus Christ, God's son. Jesus Christ is the last of all name given to men to be rescued from eternal death. So Jesus Christ is God's last of all messenger from heaven as it says in Hebrews 1, Hebrews 1, 1, God, who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he's appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds. So the words last of all in verse 37 mean that Jesus Christ is the last chance, last chance for man. It's just like, I'm always so impressed whenever I drive down Highway 5, Freeway 5, and you're going into Mexico, and just before you enter Mexico on 5, you come to that last exit, Camino de la Plaza, and the sign says, last exit before entering Mexico. And if you pass that exit, you pass your last chance to not go into Mexico. I am not trying to say that Mexico is hell, (laughs) so don't understand me that way. That's who Jesus Christ is. The highway of life is the broad road that leads to an eternal destruction of hell. As he said in Matthew 7, 13, Matthew 7, 13, broad is the way that leadeth to destruction and many there be which go in thereat. And highway five is wide. It's 75 feet wide, it's eight lanes and there's a lot of cars on it. So the highway of life that leads to hell is wide with many people on it. And just as you come to that last exit on Highway 5, the Camino de la Plaza, so Jesus Christ is the last exit on the highway of life before dropping into hell. And just as there's that sign, that sign of that last exit on Highway 5, last exit before entering Mexico, the Bible is a sign that reads, Jesus Christ is the last exit before entering hell. And just as there are some drivers who don't read the sign, they just don't read the sign on Highway 5 that says Camino de la Plaza, last exit before entering Mexico. So there are people on the highway of life, they don't read the Bible. They don't listen to those who witness to them and tell them that Jesus Christ is their last chance to avoid hell. And just as there are some drivers who read the sign on Highway 5 that says Camino de la Plaza, last exit before entering Mexico, and those drivers don't think about it. They don't think about it what the sign's saying, they don't, or they don't believe it. And so there are people on the highway of life, they don't think about how Jesus Christ is their last exit before entering hell. That's the meaning 
of verse 37, verse 37, but last of all, he sent unto them his son. And then in verse 37, when Jesus Christ said to his enemies that were right in front of him, the chief priests, the elders, in the story, he says, he sent unto them his son. Jesus Christ was telling them he was sent to them. Jesus Christ was sent to the chief priests and elders because the chief priests and the elders were lost. And Jesus Christ said in Matthew 15, 24, Matthew 15, 24, I am not sent but unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Jesus Christ was sent to the chief priests and the elders because the chief priests and elders were sinners. And Jesus said in Matthew 9, 13, Matthew 9, 13, I am not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. He was sent to call the chief priests and the elders to repentance. And so when he says in verse 37 that he was sent unto them, he's saying, 1 Timothy 1.15, 1 Timothy 1.15, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. So what happens? Now at long last, the landowner sends his son, and he says, these caretakers who are so outrageous and I've been waiting for so long for them to wake up to themselves and see how horrible they've been. I'll send them my son, and that will do it, he thinks. That will turn the tide for them. They're going to repent. So the landowner is convinced that by sending his son that they're finally gonna respond to their own consciousness and see how bad they've been, and they're gonna turn around. And the landowner is banking on the fact that these caretakers will realize that they have been backed into a no-win corner where their only future now is either the mercy of the landowner or to be caught by the landowner and destroyed. So these caretakers, they don't have the manpower, they don't have the resources to destroy the landowner. The course that these caretakers have taken is suicidal, there's no way. For these caretakers, the landowner has shown already how kind he is that after they destroyed the first wave of the servants that he, he didn't come and destroy them at that point, but he graciously sent another group of servants for them to work with them. And that showed the landowner he's ready to forgive them. The caretakers should have, by that second group of servants, saw we got a second chance. We got a chance to be forgiven if they would just throw down their weapons of rebellion and fall on the mercy of the landowner. So now after these caretakers have killed both waves of servants, these caretakers have so much that they're guilty of for them now to see the landowner that he sent his son. When those caretakers see the son of the landowner, just the sight of the landowner's son should have made the caretakers think he's still willing to forgive us. After all we've done, all we gotta do is just beg him for mercy. He'll forgive us. That's what the landowner is thinking when he sends his son. The landowner is thinking, I know how much they've hated me because they killed the two groups of servants that I sent to them, but there's no reason for them to hate me. And now that I send my son, they'll surely read in that I've sent my son vulnerable to them that I love them and I'm willing to forgive what they have done. That's my son I'm sending. Maybe they didn't think that they had to respect the servants, but now I'm sending my son in verse 37 and verse 37. They will reverence my son. If those caretakers destroy the landowner's son, there's nothing left for those caretakers but for them to be destroyed. And that's the picture of God the Father. 
sending his son, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, the son of God, is sent after Israel had destroyed prophet after prophet and those that God has sent to Israel, and that's why Jesus Christ said those words in Matthew 23, 37, Matthew 23, 37, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets and stonest them which are sent unto thee, how often would I have gathered thee? He's talking about the servants sent to Israel that were killed. Just as the last messenger that was sent to those caretakers was the landowner's son, so the messenger that was sent to earth was Jesus Christ, and that's what Jesus meant when he said, John 3.16, John 3.16, God so loved the world that he gave, he sent his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. So just as those caretakers, they had to decide, what are they gonna do with the landowner's son? So it all comes down to, what will you do with Jesus? What will your answer be? Neutral you cannot be. Someday your heart will be asking, what will he do with me? So when the landowner's son came into the view of the caretakers, we read in verse 38, verse 38, when the husbandmen saw the son, they said among themselves, this is the heir. And just as the caretakers knew the landowner's son that was sent by the landowner, so those chief priests and those elders knew that Jesus Christ was the son of God because a representative of them in John 3.1, John 3.1 said, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God. For no man can do these miracles except that thou doest, except God be with him. Nicodemus, speaking for the Pharisees, knew that Jesus Christ was God the Son, sent by God the Father. And knowing that, Jesus told Nicodemus that he, as the Son of God, was sent from the love of God the Father when he said, John 3, 16, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. But those caretakers had no interest in being forgiven by the landowner and being saved from the judgment that they deserved. Those caretakers had another interest. They envied. They envied the son of the landowner. They envied what the son of the landowner had, and they wanted it, and they plotted. Just like Jacob's sons, envied what their brother Joseph had because Joseph was Jacob's favorite son and they plotted to kill Joseph to get what Joseph had. In Genesis 37, 18, Genesis 37, 18, when they saw him afar off, even before he came near unto them, they conspired against him to kill him. And they said one to another, behold, this dreamer cometh. Come now, therefore, and let us kill him and cast him into some pit, and we will say, some evil beast hath devoured it. We'll see what will become of his dreams. What were his dreams? That they should rule over him. Just as it was because of envy that the brothers plotted to kill Joseph, so it was because of envy that these caretakers plotted to kill the son of the landowner. They wanted his inheritance. And so it was envy that the chief priests and the elders plotted to kill Jesus Christ as they were calling for Pilate to kill him. And Pilate knew 
It was because of envy, he said, Mark 15, 9, Mark 15, 9, Pilate answered them saying, will you that I release unto you the king of the Jews? For he knew that the chief priests had delivered him for envy, but the chief priests moved the people that he should rather release Barabbas unto them. And Pilate answered and said again unto them, what will you that I shall do unto him whom you call the king of the Jews? And they cried out again, crucify him. And the caretakers carried out their plot. They killed the son of the landowner as they caught him, took him out of the vineyard and killed him. And they caught him and cast him out of the vineyard, verse 39, and slew him. And they caught Christ in the garden of Gethsemane and they dragged him out of Jerusalem to a mountain called Golgotha or Calvary and killed him on a cross. And now the parable's over and Christ with a majesty turns to his enemies and asks them, in verse 40, verse 40, when the Lord therefore of the vineyard cometh, what will he do unto those husbandmen? They say unto him, he will miserably destroy those wicked men and let out his vineyard unto other husbandmen which shall render him the fruits in their seasons. Consequences for those actions are judgment and forfeiture. And that's what hell is, a miserable eternal destruction, a destruction does not, that does not annihilate the person but in hell, the person is preserved to endure an unending torment. And now the Lord has described two events. He's described two events in the next verse, which is verse 42, verse 42. Jesus saith unto him, did you never read in the scriptures the stone which the builders rejected, the same has become the head of the corner? So the stone represents Christ, and the first event is the rejection of the stone just throw it on the ground, we'll walk on it, they said. With the rejection of Christ, which culminated in the death of Christ. And the second event is God's selection of Christ to be the chief cornerstone for the building. Theirs was a rejection of Christ. God the Father's was a selection of Christ. And then Jesus said that it was the Lord's doing and marvelous in our eyes. What was he talking about? when he says the Lord's doing? Was it just the selection and the exaltation of Jesus Christ that was the Lord's doing? Or was it also the rejection and the crucifixion which was the Lord's doing? Because Isaiah 53, six says, all we like sheep have gone astray, we've turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. Isaiah 53.10, Isaiah 53.10 says, it pleased the Lord to bruise him he hath put him to grief. Acts 2.23, Acts 2.23 says, him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, you've taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain. Philippians 2.9, Philippians 2.9 then says, on the other hand, that's the rejection that was the Lord's doing. Philippians 2.9, the selection, wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God. So when we stand back and we see that both the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the Lord's doing, we've got only one response, which is verse 42. It's marvelous in our eyes. Let's pray. Father, it is marvelous in our eyes that you could love us terrible sinners, so much that you not only sent, but you did lay all of our sins on 
on your son that he died for us and then you exalted him. Thank you in Jesus' name, amen. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestoration.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California 92071. That's P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. That's tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. For more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. That's 800-247-3051. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. This program is brought to you by Israel Restoration Ministries.